Welcome to the Boiled Owl AA Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about living sober and Alcoholics Anonymous. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. And I'm Sam. Hi, Sam. Hey, Don. How are you? I'm good. I'm just sitting here recovering as hard as I possibly can. You know, again, there's that bead of sweat on your brow. (laughs) Well, sobriety's hard work. You have to struggle real hard. Hmm, maybe you do. (laughs) Maybe I need to work on relaxing some. We're sitting around the uh, coffee house here having some coffee. I've got some iced coffee. I'm being a little contentious today. I've got tea. And we have a guest. We do have a guest. Who's our guest? Oh, hi. I'm Philip. Philip. Hey, Philip. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming to the coffee club. I'm glad to be here. What are you drinking? I'm drinking black coffee. Black coffee's good. I I don't care what anybody drinks as long as they're drinking something. You know, I went to some uh, I went to um, some Al-Anon meetings, and those people don't care anything about having something to drink. They don't have a coffee pot. They don't have sodas to drink or anything. I mean, they frankly they just don't need something to drink. Well, they're not alcoholics. I think that's the difference. But I think it's really pretty cool that you are such an example of an alcoholic that you want to make sure that everyone around you has a drink as well. I do want to, yeah, I think I think everyone should have a little something to drink. And I like I appreciate it when I see somebody you sometimes in uh, alcoholics anonymous meetings people love to have bring a drink with them, you know. And uh, there was a guy that went to a meeting in Colorado, and he had a big coffee mug that was like a premium at some point that was offered from Seven Eleven, mm-hmm. and it was a gallon size <laughs> coffee mug that had a top on it. And he had that thing, and it had uh, dents and scratches in it, and it was it had. It had a used look where it actually looked filthy, but it was well-loved. <laughs> character. <laughs> it had character. And he loved it. And, you know, I could appreciate it because it was a reasonable amount to drink. Anywhere I'm, if I go somewhere, I want a gallon. Well, yeah, but, you know, the, the, the thing that gets me, too, though, is that uh, I, it's the other drinks that are sometimes in an in a, in AA meeting. So the people who bring their canned soda... And in the middle of the meeting, crack that can open. Pop. And what does it, it sound ju- like? It sounds like a beer. Mm-hmm. It has sounded like a beer from the first time I heard it. And here I am 13 years without a drink and I'm still. That's right. It's a beer. Yeah. It distracts me a little bit. I got to admit it. Don, I have to ask you, was that really a gallon sized coffee cup? It Yes. It was a gallon. It carried, it's like a gallon of milk. It was the size of a gallon of milk. And it had a big handle on it. And it, it wasn't just coffee. You know, it was a thermos. It was a thermal cup. So, you know, he could have had anything in there. He might have had Dr. Pepper. I don't know. Might have had Black Russian going on. Well, I don't think so. One would have. It was an, al- it was an Alcoholics Anonymous Oh, meeting. I guarantee you there's been some alcohol in Alcoholics Anonymous It's meetings. possible, but I guarantee oh, yeah. you this guy was sober. <laughs> he was great. I loved everything he had to say. Cool. So the reason you asked that, though, Philip, would it be that maybe Don is, you know, want to do a little hyperbole from time to time? Well, <laughs> I was thinking perhaps exaggeration, but I wasn't just describing that to him. <laughs> I think, you know, we all do that. Yeah. We all do that. But I believe him when he says it was a gallon. For me, it would have to have two handles, (laughs) though, you know? So that would be a a, a gallon-sized sippy cup at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it would. It was was large enough to be memorable. I'll tell you that. I want to believe that what you say is true because that's formidable. I mean, that's huge. And that's why I remember it. Well, Philip, 
What happened to you that was the crux that made you come to AA, decide to do this uh, drastic measure of I'm gonna, I've got a problem and I've got to get help and I'm going to go to AA? How did you get to that point? Well, I didn't go to AA uh, directly looking for help. I went to uh, my therapist. I was looking to him to help me. Now, maybe, you know, in the back of my mind or somewhere down deep, I was looking for recovery. But, I, you know, that was not part of my conscious thinking is that I need help from my drinking consciously. Mm-hmm. But um, to him anyway. But what I did was that was different with this person was I told him how much I drank. I was honest with him about how much I drank. And um, which I had never done before. He listened to that and then he um, suggested that I try some controlled drinking, (laughs) which I could not successfully do. Which means, what did you try? Well, he uh, he said, do you ever go to a baseball game or have you ever ever go to see baseball games? I said, Mm -hmm. yeah, sometimes, occasionally. He said, well, uh, next time you go, I want you to order just one beer. And I said, I guess I said, okay, I, I think I can do that, or I can do that. I and could I, order one beer. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You could order one beer. <laughs> and I knew they had the, the large ones, mm-hmm. you know, but one beer, okay. Gallon-sized. Gallon-sized. <laughs> can I bring my own two-handle <laughs> sippy cup? Yes, certainly. Anyway, just one beer. And I said, all right, I agreed to that. And so I went to the a base. Next time I went to a game, I ordered one beer, and I was, you know, determined that I was only going to have one. And I did, and I drank it as slowly as I could. I stretched it out, but it just was not nearly enough. And I kept seeing other people drinking with impunity around me. You know, they were having all they wanted, yeah. but I had to stop after one. And I, of course, I was miserable. I hated it. And it, I don't even remember a thing about that game uh, or anything. I just remember I, all I got was one beer. And <laughs> now when I went home, I think I, I'm sure I drank more, you know, because mm-hmm. I was, you know. That's, was, that's crazy talk, drinking one beer. Oh, yeah. It was totally out of the question. But I w- when I went to see him the next time, he asked me about it or how did it go? And I told him what happened. And, um, and I don't know if it was that, no, it wasn't that time. Maybe it was the next time I went to see him and he said, tell me about your weekend. And that's when I told him about my experience of that weekend, which was getting drunk on Saturday night with my friends. And, and you were one of those friends, Don. I remember that. That was the I last. I remember seeing you that weekend and, um, I was drinking, of course, at the time and everybody around was drinking at the time, but I remember thinking, Man, he's got a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously, you didn't have a problem, Don, because you can remember it. (laughs) I remember it well. Of course, I was drinking some Orange Driver that night, which is a... High-class drink. It's a fortified wine, like MD-2020 or Wild Irish Rose. (laughs) And I was was drinking that and thinking, boy, he's got a problem. But... we're talking about the very end of your drinking. I still had two years of drinking to go at that point. Two more years of fun ahead for mm-hmm. you, but I was at the end of the line. Right. And I didn't know it, though. And I got drunk that night. We ended up going to a bar. I was with you and other musicians. You were rehearsing. Mm-hmm. And I was just, in, you know, being there, enjoying it, listening to the music, having fun, as it were. But uh, we went to the bar afterwards, and of course I was continuing to drink, and I had already had more than enough. And I remember sitting at the bar and seeing double. I I looked at the mirror behind the bar, and there was two of me sitting back there. So, which, you know, I didn't want to look at myself, myself. So, (laughs) I, I, you know, whenever I looked, I might close one eye just so I'd see one, or just not look at, look away, I'd just look away. Right. In the end, I think somebody had to drive me home. You know, I couldn't drive. I had to leave my car, and somebody had to bring me back the next day. You know, that was not unusual. Well, anyway, the next day, I uh, there was a jazz concert in the park. You know, that's during the summertime when they have those uh, events in the park periodically. And this was a band, big band or something like that, or a jazz group. I don't remember exactly. 
but I was with some of my f- friends from work and I, I was at we were I was at Tom Tom's house. I remember as it was getting dark, I was I was drinking just a few beers because I'd have to go to work the next day. I didn't want to get completely hammered. It was getting dark and I was in his kitchen and the lights were out and there was just this one window in the kitchen and I was sitting there with that beer and I was staring out the window watching it get dark and as it was getting dark outside, I felt like the darkness was just closing in all around me until it just got down to a little hole Mm. that I was looking through. And, you know, I just stayed with it just to see how far it would go. And just when it got real close to closing up, I, you know, I shook it off because it was scaring me. And and I had had been having anxiety attacks for some time. Uh, Anyway, so that was the last drink I had that I have had uh, was that night. um, A beer. You were telling, so you told your therapist about this. I told my therapist about it the next day. All this did it transpired. And he listened to all that without comments. And when I was done, he said, well, no, he said, you know, I think you're a perfect candidate for Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, oh, he said, yes. Uh, and, uh, and I want you to go to a meeting. What was your reaction to hearing that? Had you heard of Alcoholics Anonymous? I'd heard of it, but I didn't really know one thing about it. But the point is, when he said that, I, I didn't try to wiggle out of it. Mm-hmm. I okay. just I just took it. And he said, I want you to go to a meeting uh, as soon as possible, today if possible, or tonight. And it was a Monday. And he said, I don't want you to make up your mind. And everything he said, I said, okay, okay. I don't want you just to go to one meeting and make up your mind. I want you to go to several. Don't, you know, before you've decided you know what it's about or it's not for you or something like that. And I said, okay, I will, I will. And uh, so we actually called the intergroup office from his office and found out where there was a meeting that night. And I went to that meeting. It was an eight o'clock big book meeting. And I was very, I was nervous, but but I wasn't like, you know, dread, full of dread or anything. Uh, I was just sort of, I was afraid to not do what he said. He intimidated me. Uh, he was nice, but he was authoritarian, authoritarian, and uh, you know, and a serious man, and and it kind of scared me. It made you take your problem seriously. Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, I suppose. Uh, no, I think my fear of him was bigger than anything at that moment. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't like I didn't think I had a problem. It, it's just uh, I wasn't cognizant of exactly what was happening. I was sort of moving in a dream you might say at least in a retrospect that's the way it seems but but you were going to see him because oh yeah you had a problem or you felt like there was a problem of some kind right well Is the problem right? yes actually i told myself that the reason i was going to see him was because i was depressed oh yeah i was depressed because my uh i had lost my marriage i had lost my home i was reduced to living in an apartment in uh greensboro i'd been basically kicked out and it just lost all of that. You were having feelings that the whole world was closing in into a tiny black hole. <laughs> but at that point, you were, had been unable to see that alcohol was What's a big wrong? part of that. That, I would say, yes. I mean, I knew that I couldn't drink like other people. Mm-hmm. I knew that when I uh, picked up a drink, I'd have to keep drinking. You know, I knew I didn't have a choice about whether or not I was going to drink every day. I could say I'm not going to drink today, but I'd always be drinking by that evening, every time. Mm-hmm. And if I started to drink, I remember I was in my apartment not long before all of this began to transpire. And I was, it was nighttime and I, it was, uh, I don't know what day of the week it was, but I started to drink. And I realized, I was sitting there thinking, you know what, I'm going to leave here in a little while and go to a bar. And I don't really want to go. But I I'm, I'm just know I'm going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. And I did. But, you know, th- these kinds of thoughts were very disturbing. I felt like I had no control over myself anymore. It was just like I had to do what the alcohol told me to do, basically. It, it, it was, uh, it owned me, you know. I wasn't, I was just way past thinking I had any control over it, really. That, that's a definition of what is an alcoholic. When new people come into AA, sometimes they'll ask the question, well, I'm not sure if I'm an alcoholic. Well, well, right there it is. If I 
if I drink when I don't want to drink, if I feel like it's got control of me rather than me having control of it, that's it. And when I start, there's no telling when it will stop. Yep. You're right. You, you got it right. And that's me. That's where I was. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I went to that meeting. Maybe, you know, I was hopeful. But like I say, now looking back on it, I was just kind of numb. But I wasn't resistant. You know, I wasn't saying I'm not or not or any of that. It was like, just do it. Go this way. And, you know, I think there must have been an element of trust there or else I would have just not had it. So when did you feel like that things, you saw it as a solution, things began to get better? Uh, How long did that take of going, you know, going to AA? I'd say one meeting. I'm serious. I went to that one, that first meeting, and it it really made an impression on me. And, uh, And I've spoken to this many times since, you know, like when I told my story, but the fact is, when I got there, I didn't know what to expect, but all everybody was very gentle and nice and welcoming. So, you know, it was, it was not unpleasant in any way. I felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the things that's key in what I'm hearing you say there is that um, I love how the, the book says that we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state. And when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, finally had surrendered So this wasn't the first time I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, but when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous beaten into that state of willingness, Mm -hmm. that hope is what was there. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't a seemingly hopeless state anymore. There actually was a glimmer of hope that, wow, there may be a solution here after all. Yeah, yeah, you say it right. You shared not that long ago at a meeting, and this is something I've thought of too, we were talking about relapse and but you pointed out that relapse can occur many times before we get sober and that was me when i came to aa i was 44 years old and i had tried to limit control my drinking i had i wouldn't go so far as to say i had i did try to stop at least for a prescribed period of time at the suggestion of of my cousin who was trying to help me, I think. Before you came to AA. Before I came to AA. Mm-hmm. Twelve years before I came to AA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was able to stop for a month, and I actually felt better. And, you know, my brain was becoming a little defogged, but that was all I did. I just stopped drinking and started drinking a lot of soft drinks, lots of them. And then 10 years later, you're still feeling good about that one month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's all I, I had it then, you know. I, no, uh, I'd probably forgotten about that until I got sober, I'll bet you. I can't remember recalling it until I got here. And thing, and I could really look back but, over but my But you did know that you had... Mm-hmm. You, under, you understood inside of yourself that you had tried to control your drinking and couldn't do it right. by trial and error, not by somebody telling you that. Oh, that's but, right. You're exactly right. Hardly anybody ever laid uh you know a, a message on me about how much i drank even when my cousin was make that suggestion he didn't say mm-hmm. anything he said do you think you could go a month without drinking that's all he said mm-hmm. and i could have said anything to that or taken it any way i wanted but as was my want uh in before i got sober if somebody suggested something or said something to me that i wasn't entirely comfortable with i would deflect the feeling, you know, and somehow answer it in a way that made me feel safe or in control. For example, what do you mean? Well, when he suggested that I could I uh, go without drinking for a month, I said yes. Now that's an example of it right there. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wasn't really, really sure about any of that, you know, or why are you asking me that or any of that. I just didn't go any of those places. I just responded with the Something that seemed like the easy thing to say, uh, you know. I wanted to say, yes, I can. I don't want to say, I, I can't do that. Right. You know that? Well, you know, what you're describing there is is something that I found continues to be a thing about definitely me as an alcoholic, but lots of people that I've encountered in my recovery, in recovery. And that is a classic um, characteristic of us is that we still want to try to make the world safe for us. Mm -hmm. 
and so that we're in control of our surroundings and what's happening. And it's it's kind of like that's the default. And that was going on before uh, drinking was a problem for me. It was definitely going on while drinking was a problem and it has continued into recovery, although I'm aware of it now and it happens a whole lot less. Now I'm able to align my will with God's will or higher power, or however you want to look at it. But rather than trying to make the world safe for myself, trusting that the world is safe. But when we're trying to control those things, like you were saying right there, it just makes the problems all that much more. Absolutely. Well, it just puts all the, the onus is on me, you know, and that was, we often say in recovery, you know, it's all about me or, and there's a sort of a positive, negative something going on there in that. I mean, it's not like a complete lose-lose thing, I think, in our minds, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But in fact, it it is lose-lose, you know, and we come to know that. And I I hear what you're saying about uh, trust, you know. I had zero trust before I came into recovery, came into AA, but now I have trust. Thankfully, it feels good to feel like you can trust people and the program or anything that you put your trust in, you know? Well, it's it's learned. Trust is learned behavior before the way, really, I think that the way I live, the decisions I made, I had an attitude of distrust. I had a natural attitude of um, finding fault. I still have an attitude of <laughs> finding fault. Not and me. Heck no. <laughs> cynicism. And actually, I, I went to a therapist before I got sober. And one time he asked me, you might take a look at what you get from your cynical sense of humor. <laughs> what you get out of it. Because I was saying, it's weird how I'm, I have such a cynical sense of humor. And he said, take a look and see what you get out of it. And I thought about it for a week when I came back and... I'll tell you what I got out of it. I may not be right in my opinions, but I'm not going to be found out to be wrong because I'm going to distrust everything up front. So that way I won't get caught. (laughs) Don, what was going through my head when you were saying that? I may not be right in my opinions, but I'm righter than you. (laughs) Yeah. I may not be right in my opinions, but I'm right in my opinions about you. (laughs) That's, yeah, yeah. By golly, now there's something solid sounding about that. (laughs) But, But what I was, but my thought was that I have learned Living sober and using the the Alcoholics Anonymous, the, what we learned in Alcoholics Anonymous, using those tools from experience, my decisions are better and my reactions to the world are better and I'm happier and I'm more connected to the world and to people in it and everything is working out better. I can have more trust because... I have a way of dealing with problems that's entirely different than I had before. I still have lots of problems. I can deal with them now in ways that are entirely different and the outcomes end up being different because of it. You know, a lot of times there would be a problem in my life and I'd make it worse. Surprise? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I never heard of such a thing. I... <laughs> Sometimes I'd have a problem with a situation in which... I was totally imagining the problem that was going on in the situation. Still don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Never experienced it. And then like I would act on that and make it worse. I mean, I could make people really angry at me for things that I imagined that they did when they'd never done it. <laughs> or were even thinking about it. Or right? even thinking about it. So living in my own world. Getting better and better. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that's happened for me on that trust side of things, too, was, you know, when I first came into AA, yeah, I was absolutely distrustful. But little by slowly, um, you know, the first thing that happened was that instant answer of no. Whenever anybody asked me to do anything, my instant answer was no. And then one day I actually said yes. And then I started to getting to know some people in recovery. And I started to see that these people had some good stuff going on in their lives. And I trusted 
them enough to continue the process. And after some time of, of doing this, working this program, living this life, I also got my own experiences. And as those experiences have accrued over time, it's not just trust that I have. I have my own experience to call upon that's proof to me that I'm okay and that things work out. It's, it's one of those things that it's, it's a, um, an evidence-based trust, I guess is what I can that's say at right. this point. Mm-hmm. Whereas before it was, I was having to take it on faith that what right. you said was the truth for right. you. Right. That's what, I, that's what I, one of the things I really like about AA is that if you think that you don't have a problem with alcohol, well, go drink. Go ahead and go drink. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing inherently wrong with alcohol. Go and drink. And I had my sponsor at one time told me as I was complaining about something that it was about an element of making amends. And I was saying, I just, I don't know. He's going, well, you know, you could always go drink. And I was going, I don't want to drink. <laughs> I don't want to drink. But he was serious about that. And that always worked for me because I can either do the things that AA asked me to do. And it's the experience of everyone in AA that if you do those things, your drinking problem will be removed. And so this obsession was lifted away from me from doing all that stuff. Or I can go drink. (laughs) And I learned from experience that I cannot control my drinking. Mm -hmm. And I had tried. I tried everything in the world. And in fact, I was thinking about it with you here, Philip, because you mentioned your cousin who mm-hmm. t- told the story Henry. of your cousin, uh, mm-hmm. Henry, who s- said, why don't you try not drinking for a month? Well, both of you, I invited both of you over to my house back when I was drinking. Mm-hmm. And you were not drinking at this point. And so that shone a, uh, a, a searchlight on me. This bright, I felt like this bright light <laughs> was shining down on me. It's like, he's not drinking. Uh, it's... And it made me very self-conscious about my own drinking, which was a good thing because I was having a problem with it inside. So I said, okay, well, they're going to come over and we're going to listen to some music together. (laughs) And it will be about an hour and a half, probably, that we'll have this social situation. So I'm only going to have two beers and that will be normal drinking. So... This is all going on in my head. Y'all, y'all came over and sat down on the sofa. We started, and, and at the end of listening to each piece of music, we were listening to classical music. So we listened to a movement of a symphony or something. At the end of it, I go, okay, well, no, I'll wait. Because I, once I have it, I want to have the second one. And I don't want to start too early, and I want to stretch it out, and I'm going to wait. And I kept doing that. Your cousin said uh, one point, well, I think it's time to go. And I was going, no, wait. I haven't started drinking yet. <laughs> I've, I've still got to have my two beers. And I I don't know. It was The whole thing was just a psychic nightmare going on inside of myself of trying to, should I drink now? Should I not drink? It's just, I was crazy with it. I was crazy with it. And eventually I came to see, that's not normal drinking. If someone's not an alcoholic, they would just not drink or they would drink if they Mm -hmm. want to drink. But it's like, it doesn't have to be this psychic terror that's all consuming. So you can't enjoy yourself at a party. That what you just described was our our obsession with drinking. And that's alcoholism. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's the difference between me and someone who can drink. Well, that's certainly how I was when I was drinking. I love to hear you relate that, that evening because, um, you know, I didn't know you were going. Of course, I didn't know what you were going through. I wasn't about to tell you. <laughs> and I, but I was, you know, we were having a, a nice time mm-hmm. from my perspective. But you were like in hell. <laughs> I was in hell the whole time. And Henry was drinking liquor. Right. That's right. I was thinking, he, I know he was drinking. He was could, drinking. He's not an alcoholic. No. no, he could drink or not drink. And he just had maybe a couple of, he had a uh, couple of drinks. shots or something. I don't know yeah. what he had, but it was not much. Because he, he never was a drinker. 
yeah, a couple of shots. That's a good start. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. That's what I would have before going to the bar. One bourbon, <laughs> one shot, and one beer. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a good funny start. listening to, to Philip, listening to you talk about that uh, that drink, that, mm-hmm. that one beer at the baseball game, and mm-hmm. listening to you talking about focusing, obsessing over these two beers that you wouldn't even let yourself have at that point. Right. Um, and, and it, it's, I had a similar thing. Uh, you know, we had a, a family dinner here in Greensboro many years ago, and I was still drinking, and I had picked up my grandmother from 30 miles away, and I was her ride to and from that family dinner at the mm-hmm. restaurant. And we get to the restaurant, and there's, there's not seating for us yet, so they put us over in the bar, and I got a margarita. I would only let myself have one drink because I was driving her back home. Mm-hmm. And that's all I remember of that evening was getting that drink and being pissed off because I couldn't have any more. I couldn't let my I actually had some control apparently at that time, but I couldn't let myself have any more alcohol because it would be endangering my grandmother. That's just that obsessive thing. I don't remember all the drinks that I did take. I don't remember. I remember those times when I couldn't have what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, because it's torture. Yeah. It's torture. Nothing's worse than having one beer. I mean, that's that's a great thing that therapist asks you to do. Mm -hmm. Go try it. Because for an alcoholic, it just doesn't work. It's no fun. It's no fun for me to have one. People that totally. want to go out to... I never you did know, understand people go to lunch and have one beer at lunch and then go back to work. So oh, yeah. Why set up that craving? It's, I didn't know... I didn't call it <laughs> craving before AA, but it was like, that's just terrible, though. Well, and I remember doing this when, at a job that I had back as a, uh, in the, uh, the late 80s. Yeah, the late 80s. And we went and, and we had some uh, some margaritas at lunch. And, of course, the plan was one. But what kicked in there was what I've, I've since learned in AA. And that is, after that first drink, it's not the same mind that is making that decision to take the second drink. Mm-hmm. You're right. And that was one of the things. Because going into it, I had every intention of having a drink with lunch. But after a drink in me, probably not even the whole drink, um, that second drink was was yeah. a guarantee. Yep, just like in the big book. I mean, it's so true. I know, I know. I If I knew going into a situation that I wasn't going to be able to drink like I wanted to, I would choose to not drink at all, you know. That was much better, safer more, I knew what would happen if I had one and couldn't go any further or had to try to get what I needed. And it would just be a nightmare like it has already been described. Yeah, that choosing not to drink was my tool at that time too. Mm-hmm. Put me in a situation where to drink too much was going to be a guaranteed problem, like a company Christmas party or something like that. And you know, I went because I had to go or felt an, uh, an obligation to go. But I did not have a good time because I was not drinking. And I'm pretty sure that the people that were around me could tell. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I, I want to regress a little. I was thinking about that first meeting or my early experiences in AA. Can I do that? Is that all right? Oh, yeah. yeah. The way the people acted when I showed up at the, that first meeting and in subsequent early meetings, I suppose was that everybody, um, I felt safe. That's what it was. I felt completely safe. And it wasn't just that people were nice and made me feel welcome. They just didn't, they weren't, uh, they didn't make me afraid, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and that was important to me. If something made me uncomfortable and fearful, this wouldn't have worked for me. But I didn't get that message. But I know in retrospect that they were just acting what was normal for them, you know. They were uh, just treating me like they would treat anybody that came in that was new. Well, I remember that experience going to a, going to a meeting. Um, I went to a meeting uh, in my first month of sobriety. I went to the beach. So I found a meeting there. 
It was called the Welcome Group. Uh, it was a big meeting. There were lots of young people there. As I walked up, there were like 15 people standing around outside, and they all had these red plastic cups. Looked for all the world like a keg party. They're all <laughs> laughing and shouting at each other and having the best time in the world. And I was like, going, what in the world is that? These people can't be sober. <laughs> They're having too much sober fun. Sober people can't have fun. And they were having fun. They were having a great time. And I've always thought that it was interesting the way that the AA people are standing around laughing, talking about God and cussing. <laughs> and all at the same time, and none of that made sense to me. It took a long time to, for that to be okay. But the th- but the thing is, now it's, it's it's a much better way to live. It's a lot more fun. So what about now? What's what's your life like now in terms of? Give me a story or something about um, how do you stay sober now? What's your AA like for you now? Because it's been a long time since you drank. Uh, thankfully, that is so. Um, well, I tell you what. I think if you look at it just in terms of um, uh, objectively, let's say, it doesn't look that different. I, you know, I, I go to five meetings a week, for example. So, you know, I, used, I went to a lot of meetings when I was first starting out. I still go to a lot of meetings. Mm-hmm. Now, What do I, you get out of going to meetings? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, I mean, I, I like to go for myself, but I'm, it's just as important to me to go to be there for the other people that will be there. Yeah. And that's what it really matters to me. And the and I thought I thought about this recently, that it's so much a part of my life now that I don't even think about it. Uh, it's just automatic. I mean, it's like eating or sleeping or something. I'm going to go to a meeting on this day, and it's just going to happen. You know, it's not a problem. <laughs> it's it's not any. It's just what happens. It's just yeah. what I do, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's natural to me. So it's just become totally integrated into my life as a whole. And it doesn't limit me from, this was my fear. And so many people I know feel the same way. When I first came to AA, if it was suggested to me that I had to go to a meeting every day or something like that, or all these things that service work or whatever, and I'd be going on. What are you asking? Really? I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. I don't have time, and it's like it's going to be a burden, and on and on, you know. But it turns out that it's it's very it's quite the opposite, you know. It's it's freeing, so that all the time I have when I'm not in a meeting or uh, working with another AA, you know, working with a sponsee or something like that or me whatever, I my time is well spent. It it I don't you know I'm not all antsy and crazy and itchy and. What am I going to do with all this free time or something? It's like, um, hey, I never, I do not feel today that AA uh, keeps me from doing anything else I want to do. Let's just put right. it like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I fundamentally believe that it makes everything else possible, but I, I don't have to remind myself of that. That's just a given, you know, that's just a given. And it, it's just and and you have relationships in AA that are so genuine. It's a lot better than TV. It's a lot better than TV. I heard about. Go ahead. Well, I'm not hearing one. One thing I'm specifically not hearing you say is that you go to these meetings because of fear. Oh, that's right. And I think that's a really key thing because sure, initially sorry. I was going to these meetings out of out of fear that I would keep on drinking or I'd start drinking again. I can identify with that. I asked the first person that I asked Alan to be my sponsor after about three weeks because I was afraid of drinking again. I didn't want a sponsor. I mean, that that scared me. My whatever I thought a sponsor was, I thought it was going to be like somebody with a whip or you know somebody to control my life and give me orders, and I would just be like a slave. Mm-hmm. When it didn't turn out to be like that at all. So fear, I can relate. Fear. That's something, I'm glad you said that, because, you know, I was afraid of these other people, the people that had been in AA. Uh, Afraid of them in the sense that, um, not because of anything they did, it was a fear that was coming from me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if they said, do this or or help with that, there's no way I was going to say why or no or anything like that. You know, they were like bigger than life. In my memory, I swear, in the first... Few months, I could remember 
maybe I dreamt this, but I can remember thinking about a particular meeting and seeing people I had met and were coming was coming to know, and they were like literally bigger than life. I mean, they were like giants, and I was a little a little troll coming in <laughs> to the meeting. But you know, and that's truly how they how they loom in my memory as people who were big, larger than life. And I, I had that experience. Isn't that fascinating? I came the, it seemed for me. I remember going to a meeting, and it was like I was a, a few days sober, and I had been to like five meetings or so, and I was going to this group, and all these people seemed like they had that they were glowing with light mm-hmm. because they looked, for one thing. They looked so healthy. All the people in they were really healthy. They all had clear skin. And they had, you know, bathed recently. So these were positive people. And I, was, and I, I felt like that. That's why I, I felt a little trollish. Because... <laughs> Because I was maybe like not one. quite as small a troll as you were, but I did feel <laughs> I was trollish because uh, I didn't feel good about myself. There you go. That was the thing. Yeah, yeah that's exactly you know, right. I was I was encountering people who had a a level of self confidence mm-hmm. because they were living their lives according to principles. They had a plan, and things had worked. And I walked in there full of self doubt, self hate. Yes. And, and such, such that I didn't have the confidence to speak to someone who was a confident, happy person. Me either. I understand that. They didn't answer with, they didn't answer my fears, you know. Yeah. My fears went unfelt or unheard and they diminished because, you know, I might have been feeling something, but there was nothing outside to reinforce it. So it gradually diminished little by little. The persona that I came in with gradually evaporated because it wasn't necessary anymore, you know? Phil, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank oh, you. Thank you, Don and Sam. This has been delightful. Stay, stay here. We're still going to answer a question from the Internet. This theoretical talk is very interesting, but how do I keep from drinking <laughs> tonight? Tonight. Well, you know, one of the things that um, that was recommended to me, first of all, was to get rid of the alcohol that was in the house. Yeah, that helps. That does help. <laughs> um, it's not having it on my person. <laughs> out, out of the car, out of the house, out from under the stoop. Um, all those places, but uh, you know, there's a, that that uh, that yellow book, Living Sober. Oh yeah, it's that such a me. great book of practical things that when you read it, it's like, well, duh, but it's not until you read it that you actually think that to to do what it suggests, like removing the alcohol from the house, mm-hmm. um, like uh, having candy on you because of the, the the sugar helps. Surprisingly, it does. Sure. Um, but, uh, the other things that, um, for me, one of the simple things was, you know, I grew up with a, a level of, of honesty and integrity taught and ingrained in me as a kid that, you know, if I say I'm going to do something, do my best to do it. And one of those things was the people in the meetings talking to me after the meeting saying, will I see you tomorrow? Come back tomorrow. And I said, I would. And that in itself was a big thing, too. I've heard it put that I need to put things between me and the next drink. And one of those is can be as simple as I'm going to call somebody in AA. I get, I've got to walk through that before I get drunk. I've got plans to go to an AA meeting tonight at 8 o'clock. I've got to walk through that before I go to the next drink. I've made some commitments in recovery to, for I have a home group where I'm responsible for AA happening in my town that night. The other meetings I go to and I can listen and I can get help for myself, but at my home group, it's my responsibility to be sure that AA is happening that night. 
And so that's a place where I've, I've made a commitment to give back and, sh- and show up. I've got to walk through that before I pick up a drink. Yes. Yeah. You're both right. If I'm brand new, you know, and, I, and I'm just going to AA for the, in the beginning, if I'm thinking about, or if I think it might be possible I would drink tonight, you know, I just need to say, I'm going to a meeting instead. <laughs> just go to a meeting. That's step, that's the first thing. And after that, talk to somebody. Hopefully somebody will come up and talk to you. I mean, that's what's so important is that we do that. You know, we welcome people like I've experienced and when I first came there. And just tell them what you're thinking. What I, you know, if you said, I, I thought I might drink today, tell somebody that. Absolutely. That's important. Hugely. And then they can respond in kind. And I'm sure you won't have to talk to too many people before they'll tell you they've had the same thought, maybe even had it that day. Or maybe they needed to hear you say it. Just show up. You know, there was an expression we used to hear, and I guess you still do, but suit up and show up, you know, right. suit mm-hmm. up and show up. Mm-hmm. But you don't even need to suit up, just show up, you know. <laughs> L- Luckily, it's informal. Yeah, it's in more It's more informal. Back in the now. old days, Bill and Bobby always had to wear a suit to go to an AA me- meeting, I understand. Huh. They had to have a bowl- bowler it. hat, and it was a... A f- fedora. A fedora, <laughs> and, you know, those those recovery cummerbunds. Ah, well, that's, you know. <laughs> I looked at. I'm a, glad those days have passed. <laughs> Recovery cummerbunds. Careful, Don. They'll come back. <laughs> I think you had to be have gone for at least a year to get your cummerbund. <laughs> your anniversary cummerbund. Your ha- anniversary. in various colors. <laughs> yeah, in various colors. <laughs> you know, for me, when I first, uh, when I finally gave in and 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 was at that place where I was willing to do this, um, I was working a job that I got off work at 4:30 in the afternoon. And 4.30 to 7 o'clock Dangerous was time. my witching time. Yeah. Um, if, I, if I was going to start drinking, it was going to be during that time. And so my, my home was four miles from work, uh, which was about uh, 20 miles outside of Greensboro. And so I would go directly home and go in the house, change clothes, and go right back out of the house and head into Greensboro. And I went to a recovery clubhouse. And the clubhouse would be open by the time I got there for the six o'clock meeting. I usually got there about 5.15, something like that. And I, for some reason, I wasn't afraid to show up early. I, I surely wasn't going to stay late because that was scary. But I would show up early. So I, that's what I did. I went home, I changed clothes, and I went to the recovery clubhouse. And then I went to that six o'clock meeting. And then after that meeting was over at seven o'clock, um, initially, I just stood around a little bit and then scampered out the door and maybe went to a coffee shop or something. But then I would go to an eight o'clock meeting Hmm. and my evening was then consumed Mm -hmm. such that by the time I went home, it was getting about time to go to bed. And that's what I did. And it worked beautifully for weekdays, but then the weekends through. I didn't know what to do with me on a weekend. So I did more meetings. Sunday is the (laughs) longest day of the year for me because in, in, in our town, there's only um, a meeting at, um, at eight o'clock that at that time I went to some meetings when I was in uh, Florida this past month and there was one meeting there the name of the meeting was the longest day of the year and <laughs> that meeting met every day at 5 30. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great name which for somebody new struggling with the craving of uh of alcoholism Every day is the longest day of the year. So I just loved it. True. That's fantastic. You know, and I think it's always worth mentioning that, um, you know, what's been described here amongst all three of us is we're not white knuckling it through life. No more. We're not going through this. I I, I can't drink. I can't drink. It's not not a focus. It's not a thing. And I think that that's something that when I came into these rooms, you know, I thought it was going to be a struggle all forever not to drink. It was always, it was going to be ever present, this desire to drink. It goes away. It does go away. Freedom. It's true. It's true. Yes, I know. You're right. I remember that. I remember that. And I'm glad that was lifted. I I remember when I read that Dr. Bob, how long did it say? He said it took him two years before he felt, didn't think about drinking every day or something Mm -hmm. like that. He had to deal with craving. And uh, so I'm glad he 
you know, said that. So other people who were thinking, well, what's wrong with me? I've spent two years and I still think about taking a drink. Well, we have a good example of somebody that had that problem, mm-hmm. one of the co-founders. So, you know, there's an answer for everything in, in recovery. If you ask the right person, you just got to ask. Lots of experience. So be sure to talk to people and get telephone numbers. Yeah. Also, and call them. And yeah. Call yeah. Those <laughs> Use those numbers. And I've done, I did that one Sunday afternoon. I was waiting for the endless Sunday afternoon to pass and I wanted to drink so bad I went down my list of numbers that I had that I picked up at the meeting. I called one talk. Didn't get most people, but I did get someone. And I talked to her for about 15 minutes. She said, well, are you feeling better? I was going, yeah, yeah, this has helped a lot. I really appreciate it. Hung up. We talked. And I got the next number on the list called. It <laughs> up. So I'm feeling a little squirrely. Well. Let's talk about it. So just talking with people helped me get through it. And then I got to a meeting. And like, like you said, Philip, it always get to the... They just don't serve alcohol at those AA meetings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. That's a good thing. <laughs> How am I supposed to do controlled drinking if they're not serving it there? I know. I, <laughs> you, sometimes you'll hear people sharing their story that they thought they thought that's what AA did. It taught you how to drink. How to drink like a lady. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. This has been great. Thanks for visiting with us, Philip. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Sam. It's been my pleasure. Look out for that owl swooping down overhead. Now, (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org. Leave feedback, ask a question on the blog, or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city, or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.